Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Marketing is about understanding consumer behavior and then understanding how to unlock growth within that. And, and so I think being able to put a business lens on creativity is essential in order to connect with the, the people who are ultimately buying your products. Welcome to The Business of Marketing, brought to you by Adweek and SAP. The Business of Marketing is where you get to hear from business leaders and innovators on how CMOs work collaboratively with their C-suite partners to drive business transformation. So, for anyone who is a CMO or aspiring to join the C-suite, this podcast will provide you with a deep dive into how to create cross-functional teams, establish clear internal communications, invest in customer centricity, drive technology innovation, and develop talent for the future. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Welcome to the Business of Marketing presented to you by SAP. I'm Toby Daniels and I'm the Chief Innovation Officer at Adweek. On this week's episode, we have Ned Duggan who is the global SVP at Bacardi Rum. Over the past 13 years at Bacardi Rum, Ned has worked in global and North American marketing roles across a number of leading spirits brands, including Grey Goose Vodka and Bombay Sapphire Gin. During the conversation, we discuss what first drew him into a career in marketing and the spirits industry, having first started out in finance. We also talked about what fuels his creativity, how he unlocks creativity in others, 
and what Bacardi is doing to drive sustainability and also their recent foray into the ready-to-drink space. Ned is a values-driven leader, and as you will hear in our chat, prefers to promote humbleness over hierarchy. And I am so excited for you all to listen to his thoughts on the importance of storytelling and product innovation. Throughout season two of the podcast, we will be spotlighting a number of different startups who have participated in SAP.io's Foundries program. During this episode, you will hear from Diane Kang, who is the CEO and founder of Brainify, who will provide an inside look at their platform that helps enterprise brands collect data and create personalized digital experiences for their consumers, and how SAP.io was imperative to their growth. We've packed so much great content and insight into this episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Ned Duggan. Ned, thanks for joining. Great to meet you. Great to meet you, Toby. Thanks for having me. All right. So when I look at your resume and the unbelievable career that you've had working across so many iconic liquor brands, including the Doers, Scotch, Grey Goose, Vodka, Bombay, Sapphire, Gin, Martini and Rossi, Sparkling Wine. One has to ask, do your personal tastes when it comes to cocktails and wine also dictate your career choices? <laughs> I think to some extent, yes. Not necessarily what I'm drinking at the time, but I'm generally drawn to the lifestyle around brands. I love working on Bacardi, which I work on right now with the fun in the sun, the beach. But I generally won't work on a brand if I don't think that I'll find some type of an emotional connection to it. That could be the history of the brand. That could be the lifestyle around it. Or in, in many cases, it's actually the, the types of people we're trying to reach, the target audience, which, which I think people are the, some of the most fascinating things around marketing. And that can also be a big draw for me. But yes, and it does have to do with my personal preferences, I would say. Well, you certainly made some fantastic career choices, if that's the case. All right, where I really want to focus the conversation today is, is on your role as a leader and what leadership means to you and how your experiences over the course of your career has shaped your viewpoint, especially in terms of how you define modern leadership in today's world. So let's first go back a little bit and understand how you started out in your career. I understand you didn't actually start out in marketing, right? No, actually, when I went to college, I was trying to figure out what my major should be. And I was told that marketing was a soft, uh, a soft major. So I needed to go for something tougher like finance or accounting. And so I actually ended up in finance. I uh, worked in finance right out of school, and I worked at a, a bank called the Inter-American Development Bank. And there wasn't a lot of marketing in that. It was capital markets. But I was fortunate in that I was working in a really international environment. And this is a, a bank that's a sister organization of the World Bank, and they fund developmental projects in Latin America. And I loved the international environment. I was the only sort of American in my office and the only native English speaker. So it was primarily Spanish spoken at the office. And I just found that fascinating. And so I started in finance. I quickly realized that finance was a little bit too mechanical and formulaic for me. And so I went back to grad school and studied entrepreneurship and marketing. But I always was interested in that international component. And I think that's a lot of what led me to Bacardi. 
It's interesting. I think that people, professionals who have had that sort of very early experience in their careers where they've had an opportunity to travel and work internationally to experience different business cultures, it can really provide just such a phenomenal foundation in terms of how you think about your career and the choices you make subsequent to those experiences. I, I'm curious, and it's interesting you touched on the, the soft option of a marketing degree. I actually majored in marketing. So thanks for that. But I'm glad to it makes you feel better. I should <laughs> no, it's fine. But I'm, I'm glad to hear that you eventually figured it out that like actually that approach will lead to obviously incredible opportunities uh, from a career perspective. But I'm sort of curious, like you were obviously drawn into the world of marketing for some specific in for some specific reason and also into the spirits industry. Talk about why that was attractive to you at the time. Yeah, I think why I left finance and why I love marketing is I think there's a misunderstanding of marketing and people thinking that it is, it's only creating advertisements or it's just the creative side. Uh, and while that's a big part of it, brand management is it's truly running a business within a business. So I was able to take what I had learned in, in finance and, and numbers and apply that in my own way in, into brand management to be a really, what I would say is a commercially minded marketer. And so a big part of my job is around connecting with consumers and understanding consumers, but it's also running a business within that. So I liked that holistic look at, at business. And I loved the entrepreneurial aspect of working on a smaller business within a larger business and the freedom that comes with that. So that's what drew me into marketing, I think, was the a desire to be closer to consumers and a desire to really touch all aspects of a business. And when, then with respect to spirits, going back to, I think, your first question, I wanted to work in, in an industry where I loved the products. I was always someone who was very social, who was out. I went to the University of Colorado and then the University of Texas. And, and so a lot of my schooling and, and my graduate school had to do with being out. And, and I found spirits to be a, a category where it's so dictated by marketing and people, it, spirits are such a high involvement purchase. You can stand next to a bar and listen to someone's order and you already have a picture in their mind of who they are by what it is they've asked the bartender for. And so you know, that type of an emotional type of connection that people have with, with a brand and, and with a product, I found really interesting. I've always said that drinking spirits is a high involvement activity as well. I'm curious, when you look back over the course of your career, and we're going to unpack a lot of this in, in just a few moments and then really dig into to kind of some of your views around sort of leadership in general. But I'm just sort of curious, when you look back over your career and you look at the, the liquor market or the spirits industry specifically, what, what's changed? Like, how have you seen the industry evolve over 12 plus years? I, th I think in quite a few ways. I think the last 15 or so years, we've been in, in part of what we call a cocktail uh, resurgence or a cocktail revolution, the classic cocktails coming back into favor. When I was coming of legal drinking age, people were drinking very simple mixes, usually uh, more, I would say, down market or mainstream brands. And in the last 15 or 20 years, people are really taking a more of an Epicurean look at what cocktails can be both in the creation and then really savoring the consumption. So that, that aspect of quality in cocktails has come through. And with that has been people really spending more on, on what they're drinking. We've seen in basically every category within spirits, from vodka to, to tequila, this phenomenon of what we call premiumization, which uh, is you know, just trading up within a category up and up and spending more on, on the spirits and the cocktails that you're consuming. And so I think that's a big aspect. Within the last 12 to 18 months, we've seen huge shifts in the way people purchase and drink. 
So the, there's been a huge shift in our industry to e-commerce and direct to consumer, which was something that for regulatory reasons was not big, but now is a high growth area of our category. So it actually, Spirits is, while I think it's in many ways a steady growth industry, it's been very dynamic over the last 15 or 20 years. Yeah, I was going to say, certainly over the course of the last like 12 to 18 months, we've seen some significant shifts in consumer behavior, pretty much in every aspect of life, of course. But one of the reasons I think that people have looked to upgrade their consumption and, and the brands that they are consuming is because of the fact that they're drinking at home and they're not out in restaurants and bars, obviously purchasing premium brands in those environments instead looking to upgrade the home liquor cabinet. So I think that's just like a really interesting trend. Let, let's, there's something you touched on that I think allows us to segue nicely into the conversation around leadership, which is the idea of sort of marketing being just regarded as being a much more significant part of how a business functions. I mean, one of the reasons why we, we do this podcast is that we want to look at business transformation, but through the lens of marketing, because we just know that it has just such an important role to play within the C-suite. And I'm curious, how do you think about the role of marketing at the business level? When you, you're having conversations with the C-suite, you're talking about the function and the discipline of marketing. What are some of those conversations look like? And, and what are some of the things that you're touching on? Well, I mean, marketing is about understanding consumer behavior and then understanding how to unlock growth within that. And, and so I think being able to put a business lens on, on creativity is essential in order to connect with the, the people who are ultimately buying your products. I think my background specifically coming from more of a finance world, uh, I'm working with general managers all day long, whether that's in the C-suite or with general managers out in sales functions. And the language that they speak is one of, is one of finance, is, is obviously one of business. And, and so relating that back in human terms and how consumer behavior can translate into business opportunity, marketers and people in marketing function, functions many times become those translators of how to unlock growth with consumer behavior to ultimately achieve, achieve business goals. And so for me, there's the aspect of great creative and outstanding advertising that is certainly what gets a lot of headlines and, and obviously a lot of attention. But that role of translating consumer behavior into business opportunities, I think probably the most significant function that a marketer plays. So my understanding of you is that you are a values-driven leader and prefer to promote the sort of idea of humbleness over hierarchy. Talk, talk about why this is important to you. I think our job as leaders is to create a certain environment where people thrive and where the business does well. And, and generally, I, I, I have a quote that hangs on my, hangs on my, in my office. It's by Epictetus. That's a man ca cannot learn what he thinks he already knows. And so that idea of humility, I think, is, and that value of humility is one that breeds curiosity. And I, I ask everyone on my team and, and ask of myself that I'm always curious about what can be learned, whether that's about a product, whether that's about a business opportunity or a consumer. And I think trying to, trying to create an environment where people are always trying to learn rather than trying to sound smart or to just throw out different solutions, ultimately that's going to lead to an environment that is more productive and more effective. And so I think you, I think you, you've seen a big shift, I think, in leadership over the course of the last 20 years that's gone from being more ego-driven, looking to a leader to have all the answers, 
to one now where I think it's, it's really empowering people to be resourceful and to come up with the solutions, come up with the answers and to be a facilitator of that rather than that person that everyone goes to for the solution. And I think humility breeds that spirit of curiosity, which I think is critical to the effectiveness of the team. Which I think you know speaks to the idea, or at least the importance of you know why it's important as a leader to continue to invest in your own professional development and learning. I'm interested to know when you think about the past few years, or, or even just your career in general, what have been some of the standout leadership lessons that you've learned, and and how do they shape your approach to leadership today? Yeah, I think one of my leaders or uh, mentors when I was first coming into the industry was, um, he was very interesting. He had both a marketing degree and then a degree in cult- cultural anthropology. And he really viewed himself almost as a, as a cultural scientist uh, and studying humanity. And he had this tone of just it was observing all the time. And, and I think stepping outside of the four walls of the office, which we can all get caught up in the day-to-day, but really taking the time to to stand back and to observe human behavior and to look at yourself, not always as a business person, but also as a scientist trying to to understand people. That was something that really stuck with me. And I always thought that was a really interesting dichotomy between business and and science that that I took with me. And so I think it goes back to that idea of always trying to, to find something that you can learn in any situation. And so I would say there was one very early on in my career that that made a big impact on me. Another one was, I think I have always responded very well to, I guess what I would describe as informal leadership, being able to say, to say anything to the person, the people around me to, to be provocative rather than to, to feel like I'm walking on eggshells. And so that sense of, of transparency and of being, being able to say exactly what needs to be said in, a, in any given moment without a filter, I think ends up leading to quicker decisions, to better decisions and uh, more effective decisions. And so I think that sense of informality that I try to instill in the teams that I lead is something that stuck with me as well. Let's take a break from my conversation with Ned to hear from Diane Kang, the CEO and founder of Brainify and participant in SAP.io's Foundries program, who shares how she is leveraging emerging technologies and social platforms to drive customer acquisitions and the ways that SAP.io was supportive through this process. My name's Diane King. I'm the CEO and co-founder at Brainify. We were part of the 2019 SAP IO Experience Management Cohort based out of San Francisco. At Brainify, we work alongside consumer enterprise brands all around the world to help bridge the gap between data science and marketing to enable predictive personalization at scale. Today, CPG brands and retailers more than ever need to deliver relevant experiences that drive results, but more than 80% of the world's consumer brands, they just won't be able to manage their own team of data scientists to really power marketing. A few good examples include those products that you see when you open a kitchen pantry or when you open your bathroom cabinet, and that's where Brainify comes in. Our vision for Brainify is to democratize data science, really enabling enterprise marketing teams to harness the power of predictive capabilities, especially when they lack a team of data scientists. So we've built a super lightweight plug and play AI platform to help connect and collect data, 
to optimize consumer journeys, and to activate predictive and dynamic personalization across all of your existing marketing channels to help you achieve an eight to 10X ROI. Just in the last year, we've helped alcohol retailers like BevMo drive over 125 million in new sales. We've also helped consumer good brands like Duraflame drive over 20% in additional recipe views. And we're super excited and ecstatic to be on the SAP App Center, partnering with SAP to launch more personalized consumer experiences all around the world. And here we are today, dynamically personalizing over 500 million experiences in just the last quarter with zero downtime. So we're really excited, but overall, it's really about having a clear kind of North Star on where you're headed and really being zoned in and focused on how you can activate those and really listening to your customers and taking those feedback to build your different kind of product and, and solutions. Being an innovative company, we're able to successfully raise institutional funding, which allows us to grow really exponentially. And although we're really, really fortunate to be able to grow so quickly, there's a few challenges that will come, I think, soon enough for Brainify. A few core obstacles that we're always working hard to stay on top of are number one, like staying true to ourselves by putting culture at the forefront, really trying to maintain that direct and transparent um, culture that we've created and propagating that to new employees. Number two, being as clear on who our customers are and what our go-to-market strategies are going to be and when do we assess that they're working versus not and why the reasons are. And number three, being able to grow our team purposely and, and sustainably across different departments and, and just tackling new challenges that we may not have at different sizes as we grow up. For more information, go ahead and check out brainify.ai. Thanks to Diane for providing a glimpse into the challenges that many early stage companies face when scaling their businesses. If you are a B2B technology company and interested in joining the SAP.io Foundries program, applications are now open for the fall of 2021. Check out the show notes for more information. And now back to our conversation with Ned Duggan, the global SVP at Bacardi Rum. I'm interested. I want to build on a couple of things here. I'll, I'll come back to the sort of the social sciences piece because I think that's really important. But just really interested to hear your thoughts around the informal leadership sort of idea. Has that ever presented challenges for you within teams that you have led over the years? And in particular, has the lack of boundaries ever created an issue for you um, amongst members of your team who perhaps have overstepped? or have not necessarily respected the kind of position you hold from a kind of a leadership standpoint? That's a great question. I think I haven't run into too many situations where it's become uh, a major issue. I try not to rely on who's, what someone's title is, including my own, in terms of having conversations with people. When it's most apparent is if things are not going well. And I think it's easy for everyone to get along and have have both a personal and a professional relationship when the business is doing well and when programs are, are coming out on time. I think it's always more difficult to, to keep that sense of informality when the pressure is on. But at the same time, I think when the pressure is on, that's actually when you need to find those releases. 
and those moments of levity and that humor within your team to be able to bring people down to earth and keep perspective. I think the probably the most formal aspects of leadership come in the way of when there's true feedback and builds on performance that need to be given. And in that case, I think it's it's a place where you want to ensure that you're serious with the way that you're giving feedback and also that the person who is taking feedback understands that the intent is positive and also serious. I, I think you need to morph your style and your approach given in any situation, but I think understanding that there's that under underlying personal relationship, I think is very important in today's world. I want to go back to what you were just talking about in regards to people you've worked with and other leaders that you've admired and who have even sort of been mentors to you that have had like backgrounds and experience in both the business and also in the social sciences world. And and this is just such an interesting kind of topic for me. And I'm curious, like having had that experience and to a certain extent benefited from it, how have you incorporated that into your own professional development? And to what extent do you study or invest time in understanding the social sciences, in particular, in terms of how they can benefit what you do in your work, and perhaps even especially on the creative side of what you do? And is it sort of something that you also advise other people to invest time in as well? Yeah, I, I think ultimately curiosity is, is about learning. And one of the things that I, uh, as a passion of mine, I love reading about psychology, both organizational psychology and also personal psychology, because I think it helps you to learn about other people and also about yourself. And so I do try to apply that to, to, to marketing and to the business place. I mean, one of the, you know, one of the most basic tenets, I think, of psychology is how people form beliefs. And that's also, I mean, beliefs can be beliefs about what, you know, your, whether it's religion or anything else in your personal life, but it's also a belief about a brand. And, and you know, the formula for a b- belief is you take a fact, you marry that with a feeling, and ultimately that creates belief. And in our marketing, what we, what we are always trying to do is we need to make sure that we're presenting some sort of a rational fact, but then we're wrapping that fact up in something that's, especially in our category, highly emotive and something that will evoke a, a strong feeling. And then that will cement a belief. And so you know, that's a formula, I think, that translates well into marketing, but obviously also is the core tenant of psychology as well. Let's switch gears and talk about creativity. So you've achieved a number of industry accolades over the years, including winning numerous Canline awards for creativity. And I'm curious, in your role and over the years and with the teams that you lead, where are you drawing your creative inspiration from? I think it's a great question. I think one of the things about my role is understanding it. And my role is not always to be the most creative person in the room. I'll always offer my ideas on the table, but I don't think that my gift is actually coming up with a creative idea. My my idea is to identify a concept or creativity that that I think will stretch into something that is rich and goes beyond a, a transactional advertisement, but into something deeper that can be uh, expressed through a platform. And and then much of my job is around clearing clearing barriers so that the that that imagination and that creativity or that imagination can turn into creativity. And having an idea is easy. Getting it off the ground and having it traverse through an organization and ultimately see the light of day. That's where the my job really comes in terms of paving the way for that creativity to come to light. 
Creativity also works in lockstep with productivity, exactly. right? And and today, brands need to move at the speed of culture. And I'm just curious, how do you remain agile as a leader of a creative team and as a leader of a brand that needs to keep pace with culture? The, the best way is the people around you. This is not a hard thing to do, but I make it a rule always to be the, the least cool person on my, on my team. We have an incredibly diverse team from in terms of thought, in terms of ethnicity and gender. And I think all of those different ideas coming together, having debates, that's ultimately what sparks creativity. And that's ultimately what also ensures that we keep moving with culture. And so we're fortunate in that we, we have what we call an LDA to 25-year-old consumer that, that is always on the move and always looking for discovery and new. And whether it's through social listening or through the people that we hire around us, those are the people that ensure that we stay fresh. Another thing that, we, that I think is a benefit to working on Bacardi uh, specifically is the verticals that we choose. We're, we operate within music, which is obviously very fast-paced in terms of trends and, and a significant contributor to culture. And so by staying closely aligned with artists and organizations that are within that music vertical, it really helps us stay on top of uh, what trends then that we can take into, into our business, which is obviously more about cocktails. I want to sort of stay in this vein just for a few minutes. So Bacardi is using cutting edge technology to engage customers and it's forging unconventional partnerships to bring your brand to the market. For example, I think earlier this year, you guys debuted a music video and a full song for the first ever remake of the global hit single Conga featuring Meek Mill. Leslie Grace and produced by Boy One, which also incorporated fan submissions from the, across the world. Can, can you yeah, talk a little right. bit about this campaign and efforts like this that you know are really focused on inspiring your customers? It's focused on bringing your customers together around kind of creativity and obviously music. But talk, talk about this and why it's important for the brand in, in the context of again how you're keeping pace with the extraordinary changes and and the pace of of culture. Sure. This is, I think, the most ambitious campaign that, that we've done as a company probably in the last 20 years. It's part of our Do What Moves You campaign. So Do What Moves You is our brand idea, and it's really centered around this invitation for people to live life as their true self, to be themselves. And that's about connecting with people, and that's about individual freedom. And this was a, a concept that we came up with well before the pandemic began, was to, to remake this, uh, the classic song Conga. And it actually stems from our company's history. So Conga was created by Gloria Stefan and her husband Emilio Stefan in the Miami Sound Machine. And Emilio Stefan and Gloria Stefan were both, both exiles from Cuba, similar to the Bacardi family. And so there are a lot of parallels in terms of their lives. And Emilio Stefan's first job was actually at Bacardi. He worked in the mailroom uh, and worked at Bacardi for 12 years. And so we wanted to bring to life this, this part of the, the brand's history in a modern and fresh way by remaking this, the song Congo, which is a song that everybody should know from, from growing up, from, from weddings. Of course. And it truly is a song that brings people together. It gets people out of their seats onto the dance floor. And so that idea of connection, of bringing people together was something that we thought would be a great campaign. And once the pandemic hit, we thought that actually it would be even more uh, relevant to, to consumers who were locked at home, who were feeling disconnected. 
to have them take part in the campaign. And so we invited people to upload their vocals, their dance moves, and we selected people from all over the world, dance moves and vocals that could actually play into the, the, the remix of this song. And we launched the video just before the Super Bowl, and we'll be continuing to run the, the 30 seconds advertising and 15 second advertising throughout the summer. And with people coming out of the pandemic, they're really responding. It's, it's been an exciting project to be a part of. All right, let's see if we can segue from the conga to your work in sustainability. So in October of last year, you announced your first biodegradable bottle, uh, which I understand will replace more than 80 million plastic bottles used by the company every year. And obviously beyond the fairly obvious environmental benefits, I'm interested to know why this initiative is so important to you and the company. Sure. I think uh, one of the great things that about working at Bacardi is it's a family-owned business. It's a company that's been around for almost 160 years now. So it's a company that takes a long-term view. And, and so sustainability, it's also a company from Cuba and now in Puerto Rico and, and in Bermuda. And so it's a company that is based in the islands. And climate change is something that directly affects the company, not just in terms of its business, but in terms of where it operates. Our US headquarters are in Miami, which is a place in the US where climate change and sea level rise are something that we see every day. And so that aspect of sustainability of, uh, and, of, and of climate change are something that the company takes seriously. And we've been taking steps for well over a decade to reduce our water consumption, to eliminate plastic from, from our supply chain and more and more in, in terms of our consumer facing packaging. And the, the biopolymer bottle that you just mentioned is a, is a fantastic project that, that our operations team is working on with Danimer Technologies, which is a biotech firm that is re really creating the technology for a spirits bottle that, that will bi a biodegrade when, it, when it's introduced in the, into the environment after between six and 12 months. And it's just another way to eliminate our footprint as a business and to try to be good stewards of the environment, which I think is in all of our interests, but particularly in the interest of a long-term business that is fiercely proud of being private and wants to be here for the next 160 years. I'm interested. It's so easy to pay lip service to these things. And obviously there's a certain amount of kind of environmental greenwashing that sort of is going on out there in the world of businesses and brands who obviously want to be seen by their consumers as doing the right thing. But clearly you've been doing this for more than a decade. Your motivations are, are probably much less to do with how you're perceived by your consumers and much more to do with the fact that this is just the right thing to do. I'm interested to know a little bit about some of the other sustainable programs that you're working on and potentially plan to roll out in the future. Sure. No, I think you bring up a great point around greenwashing. I think our bias and, and I think our challenge has been, we haven't been as strong at communicating our messaging around what the different sustainable activities we have across our brands have been. And so I think what we've taken great strides in an operational sense, I think we're not always as great as, as we should be about talking about them. So, I mean, in terms of other aspects of what we do, much of our visitor center in, in Puerto Rico is powered by wind. So we have wind turbines that are visible and operational on the, on the, the premises. When you look uh, across our company, Bombay Sapphire, which is another brand that we own, has recently announced that's going to be the most sustainable gin. 100% of all the botanicals that, are, that go into that gin are now certified sustainable. And that has to do with ethical working practice, that has to do with the impact on the environment and, and overall sustainability in farming. 
and also how all of those botanicals are, are purchased. So whether it's in our production capabilities and facilities and distillation, I think you had mentioned we reduced our water consumption by 50% over the last decade. By 2025, we committed to, to reducing it by another 25%. So it's an ongoing process, and I think we have a number of operational initiatives. And one of the things that I think we've been doing on the marketing side that's been effective is we partnered with the Lonely Whale, which is an organization here in the U.S. that has been very focused on single-use plastic and, and primarily the elimination of plastic straws. We had a large campaign called The Future Doesn't Suck, where we're working <laughs> with our business partners to try to eliminate the, the use of plastic straws and either replace those with paper straws or biodegradable straws or just eliminate the straw altogether. And we've been able to work with a lot of our larger customer partners, whether it's hotels or, or bars and clubs or Live Nation, which is a big concert venue operator and partner of ours, to work to eliminate straws. So we're, we're trying to use our own, I guess, pulpit as a large company within the hospitality industry to see how we can affect change with others, with our partners, but also trying to do our part with our own operations as well. So we're going to have to wrap up in, in just a few minutes, but I've got a couple more, more questions that I want to sort of hit on. This is season two of the business of marketing, and we're asking each of our leaders that are joining us on the show to help us define what it means to be a modern and progressive executive in today's social, political, and economic landscape. And of course, you touched on this a little bit, but the role of the leader has shifted pretty significantly. Today, you need to develop new skills that were probably not even in the kind of C-suites toolkit 10 or so years ago. What's in your toolkit? What new skills have you had to learn over the last couple of years? I'm not a digital native. I'm 46 years old and I did not uh, grow up with the internet around me. And, and you're on the cusp though. I mean, you're, you're just, you're just about on the borderline. You and I are a similar age. Just, so just uh, about, you're yeah. very, you're very generous. Toby. <laughs> but, but so, I mean, digital commerce and e-commerce is not something that I grew up with. And, and it certainly is not something that as an industry, we have been at the forefront of. And so Learning, learning how to work within and open up a, an online channel and working within the regulatory environment that we have with our customers as they are making the shifts online to delivery specifically within the past 12 months. And I think that's been a, that's been a big area that I think I've had to learn and grow and still in learning and growing and learning a lot from a lot of the more junior members on my team about it's a totally different language than what I grew up with. And so that's an area, um, I think, just in general, continuing to be the voice of a consumer that is ever-changing, moving from the millennial consumer into the Gen Z consumer, understanding the worlds that they occupy and the, the challenges that they face and being that voice of the consumer, I think is an evolving role that marketers always need to play. And, and so I, I think when you think, as soon as you think you've got someone figured out, you're going you're gonna to be surprised and, and learn that you haven't. And so I think that's an ongoing role that a marketing executive will always have to play within the C-suite and within an organization overall. Fantastic. That's all the time that we do have, Ned. Really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Best of luck in the coming year. And uh, let's both hope that the future doesn't suck. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Toby. Thanks for listening to The Business of Marketing, brought to you by Adweek and presented in partnership with SAP. The Business of Marketing is produced by Al Manorino. The executive producer is Brian Letty. Support also provided by Erica Perry and Julian Gamboa. Please take a minute to subscribe and review our show. Your feedback 
means the world to us. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.